welcome to Conspiracy Dimensions. Joining me tonight are my partners, Ralph and Bevo. Tonight, we're going to pick up on a topic that we've done once before, but we're going to go a lot deeper into this because we're going from the scientific realm. And it's going to be a time travel topic. So instead of doing some of the stories and examples, we're actually going to get into the science behind it. And we're still going to have a little bit of fun with it. So what we're going to start off with today is we're going to look at time right as what we have theoretically as it listed now so we have a couple of different theories on time and one of them is a flowing river theory and that is that time is just like a river flowing con constantly as it's going downstream all the time and then we have another one that came out from some of the russian scientists that time was actually an energy force that acts throughout the entire universe and use is used as a medium of travel and then we have another one that's the block theory where it says time is static, so everything has happened already all at once, both past, present, and future. And these three theories all come with their own fair share of problems, and a lot of them have paradoxes. And Bebo, you've been looking at this for quite a while now. You want to take us through those paradoxes and tell our listeners exactly what they'd be running into if they had issues like this with time travel? Yeah. Good morning, everybody. The, <clears throat> the block theory... Um, suggests that uh, everything exists in in the four spaces so uh, it's called time space and that is that your past your present and your future is always happening it's always there so time travel per se is that you you don't go forward or backward you just jump to another point that's in that time space continuum if you like and if you could imagine that everything is happening like that um going along in a parallel type way then there becomes a lot of paradoxes that are possible and some of the paradoxes this is not all of them but some of the paradoxes are bootstrap bootstrap paradox restoration paradox ex nihilo paradox the predestination paradox and the <clears throat> auto emphasized paradox so i'll just briefly um try and explain those so imagine um i'm a scientist uh and I discovered um, time travel, and I wrote a book detailing this, the scientific principles behind it. And then I go back in time to my younger self, and I give me the book. I read the book, and he learns how to uh, build that time machine, and eventually I become the older me who writes the book in the first place. <clears throat> so as you can see, there's no in this scenario, there's no clear origin of the info. Um, it seems to be a closed loop. And this paradox creates uh, questions like, where did the information about the time travel originally come from? How can something be its own cause? And what happens if the loop is dis disrupted or changed? Um, so if you, if you can try and understand, you're in a loop, but it's almost like chicken and egg, which come first? And then you've got the restoration paradox. And so if this book is is stuck in a loop why doesn't it get older or if what if the book had a mistake so i went back to get it changed but how could how could i go back and make it change change the book because of the mistake because then i never would have been so my sort of brain explodes at that point um and then you've got the ex nihilo paradox and it's uh, a, a concept that deals with the creation of something out of nothing and implicates uh and the implications it's got on like uh, time and casualty. So if the younger me creates a time machine because I received a book from the future, then there's no historical timeline. So the creation of this book doesn't seem to have any pre-existing building blocks. And we don't see a lot of that in our real lives. Uh, so again, that paradox on its own sort of would debunk that we've actually been able to um, travel in time and then you've got the predestination paradox uh, or sometimes referred to as a casual loop and the concept in time travel involves events and actions that appear predetermined for me so in my case in this example I give it I'd always be destined produce to produce a time machine and that <clears throat> because I go the older me goes back and gives me the book so my destiny is always sealed I was always going to do that um, so everything's mapped out for us so that one sort of does my head in and then the last one that I mentioned was auto emphasize and that's uh, 
it, it suggests that the paradox is, is killing oneself as an infant or stopping that infant from being born. Um, in, 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 so in this case, uh, I've decided that making the time machine is, is causing so much bad stuff in the world that I travel back to prevent my own birth. So I kill my grandfather, maybe. So, so I'm not born and then I can't build the time machine. So the obvious paradox is if I was never born, how can I make, uh, make it that, you know, then travel back to make it not happen? So it, all these paradoxes seem to be loops and you'd get stuck is, is the way I see that. So you got anything to say about that, Ewan? You know, actually, there was a few things I was looking at because a lot of these were falling on a lot of conventional physics. And one of the science stories that I wanted to bring up was a fringe science, and we'll get into that in a minute. So from there, there was an old saying from Ben Rich, who was the ex-director of Lockheed Martin, which is the defense company, one of the defense companies for the U.S., and he said in, in the topic of quantum travel, which at, was traveling faster than the speed of light, he said to them in one of his uh, meetings or uh, presentations that you have to understand ESP in order to do that. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper in a minute. But what he was saying was, was that a lot of these theories, again, are based you know, really, really heavily on contact physics. When you get into the quantum level, it's a little bit different. I remember one of the old discussions from Stephen Hawking and some of his peers before he passed away. They used to have a discussion of the information about something being destroyed. Can you actually destroy the information? So, excuse me, I'll give you an example of what they were using. Say you flew a spaceship into a black hole. Now, once that ship goes in there, it gets destroyed, and they were contemplating whether, is that, whether or not that's still a part of our universe or not. So now you have all the information that it took and everybody's memories of, did this actually, you know, we have built this spaceship, we flew it into this black hole, everything is destroyed, but the question was, and it's not resolved, is the information still available about that spaceship? So what happened to the information? Now, that was for an inanimate object. And for uh, as far, far as a person would go, <clears throat> for somebody who is a consciousness, when you get into something that's like um, killing your grandfather, going in the past and killing your grandfather, now you're still going into the fringe science aspect because what happens to the information? So... <clears throat> Your grandfather is not just the physical body. So, yeah, if the physical body dies, it might change the reality of this 3D box that we're in. But the information of the grandfather and the information of your father and yourself, does that still exist somewhere else? And that would get into more metaphysical of the soul. And that's what we were looking at. That'll come up in one of the other stories that I'm going to bring up in a second. And when you bring up, um, like, the story of the book, where does the information come from? It reminded me of Edgar Casey, And Edgar Casey was an old, well-renowned psychic. He was a very smart guy. But he was his readings were actually epic. He did a lot of medical stuff. And not to get too far into him, but... He said that his readings were coming from his subconscious mind and exploring dream reality. He said where all the minds were timelessly connected. So in all this, we're not talking about the, uh, I guess you could call it the, the technological aspect of it. Even though it's a science and it's still theoretical, we're talking about something that is beyond like the nuts and bolts of making a time machine. We're talking about the information of does this exist somewhere else, this information, and do we have access to it? So, so it goes well beyond like any, you know, craft we could put together. So in my opinion, with those paradoxes, yeah, you do have those paradoxes with contact physics, but you don't necessarily have them at the quantum level because we are not just this 3D body. We are part of that fourth dimension. 
So, so, so if I'm understanding <clears throat> what you're saying, I I perceive that as you know our time space at the moment is there's four dimensions. So we've got point A, which which was where the Big Bang theory, and then we end when the universe ends. So there's a timeline there. They call it a timeline. And then the fourth dimension is time, and we can hop back and forward at any point on that timeline, and that would be that would constitute time travel. But what you're suggesting is that there may be a parallel universe. So in the in my case, there would be I created this book, but there might be ten points or 10 timelines that created the book. And in one timeline, I came back and killed my grandfather. But in the parallel timeline, I didn't. And then there could conceivably be, which is one theory, is wormholes that jump from one timeline to another. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Actually, a little bit different, but I would like to expand on that when I'm done here. I'll, I'll let you continue on that one because the wormhole is a fantastic topic to get on. What I was referring to was something a little bit different, almost like a collection of information. And if you look at a lifetime, a, just a regular human life, then what we have there is we are essentially collecting information and feeding it and collecting it to our consciousness, right? So if you could imagine a lifetime as being you are attempting to achieve as many possible out uh, experiences in this life in this 3d dimension until you get enough of them to get to say the next level outside of this dimension to your highest self right so you're what you're doing you would imagine is building a small like a jenga tower of blocks so you're just stacking these blocks now when you die those blocks all get knocked down the thing is, those blocks still contain those experiences and that information. And if you had to do this over again, as far as a reincarnation type scenario, you'd still be stacking blocks, but you can take blocks from your previous experience, not even previous, but your other experiences, and you're feeding them to the same consciousness. So what would happen was it didn't matter if you had a time machine or not the whole purpose of the life would to be collect those experiences until you as the person were able to achieve that level of let's call it time travel or uh just viewing or experiencing because then this way it would make more sense it would be fair to everybody the technology or the you know uh different things that we use to achieve that level of spirituality would be just a kind of not really a crutch but wouldn't be necessary the ability to do that kind of time travel would be innate within all of us so that we would be able to collect all of those experiences feed it to that consciousness and at some point in time grow it big enough to leave this 3d box it might not be different dimensions it might be the same 3d box that we keep repeating into so i'm not sure if there is a multi-dimension at this point in time what i'm saying is is that we might be coming back to the same dimension over and over and at different points of it trying to adjust each point over and over until we get a successful outcome yeah but but what is that successful outcome and i still can't correlate what you're saying with the obvious paradoxes that i listed before uh, that uh, um, my head's exploding at the minute new one i'm i'm sort of there was there was a researcher a while ago that said uh the only people that could uh actually wrap their heads around this is like these topics are uh like super mega physicists and little kids because little kids don't think that hard about it they just say yeah sure it's possible yeah so one one question is when we're rebuilding these things with our jenga blocks uh, do, do we have any input into that? Like, how come our conscious doesn't know this is happening? Because what you're suggesting is that I'm, I'm knocking down and rebuilding my blocks on a, on a con continually. But I don't, you know, I don't know that I'm doing that. How am I doing that? How am I, am I looking back? Right, right. So that is going to be a reincarnation question. Why do we not have full rec recollection of past lives, yet we can have instances where we know that they've happened 
And you'll find this a lot when you see it with uh, little children, and it's usually under the age of six. They can recall quite a bit from their past life. I don't exactly know what the goal would be here, but it seems to be is to get to collect as much experience as you can, but yet to find yourself as a higher being than what you are here in this body. And once you can start connecting with that, that seems to be the ultimate goal is real the self-realization that this is not who you are. You are a collection of different experiences from different lifetimes of all different kinds of, you know, peoples and places and times. And all of that together is putting the consciousness of you to, together to be able to move to the next level of who you are. Yeah, but I'm, I'm still lost, dude. Like, who's, who's saying that what I am trying to achieve is correct? With the, with in That's, respect to somebody, what somebody else may think, they may look at my timeline and the and the blocks that I've put together and go, "Well, that's just fucking stupid." Well, yeah. we do know this much: there, the belief is very common that that not everybody's experiences here at this particular time that we share them are supposed to be the same. So you could have different experiences, at different people's blocks would look different because you've collected different information over different periods of time. Yeah, see, I, I, I'm more scientific, mate. Like, I think what we're already uncovering about uh, time travel is there's the, the, the theory, you know, th people like Einstein with his special theory of relativity and and um, the, what was the other, uh, uh, the special, th he's got two, and the general theory of relativity. He, a lot of that stuff has been proven with science, science etc. But what you're talking about is hasn't sort of been proven it's it's more speculation but what what I'm, but what I'm getting from this is time travel for as the, the normal person understands this is we all think about the delorium and we're hopping in the car and going forward in the future but but it's a way 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 deeper than that yeah yeah actually and you know the the general relativity and uh, special relativity or a little bit older theories, we did have somebody in the more modern times who was testing <clears throat> different theories on this. And it, he was right about quite a bit of stuff, even though it never got published mainstream for a lot of different reasons. And one being it was way too fringe, but that was the topic that I wanted to bring up with the Kosarev mirrors. Oh, and if you cool. had a chance to look into those, that was a particular scientist who was a russian scientist that brought up a ton hang on one second let me find this here a ton of different experiments and theories that we came to find out later on were correct so just to dip into what he was doing he was a russian scientist a very long time ago i believe it was the early 1900s and he believed that time wasn't just a linear uh, not, well, not necessarily, uh, say like a linear energy. And he compared it with light. So we only have like one very small spectrum of light that we can see, yet there's a lot of light on both sides. He was saying that time was an energy. And instead of traveling at one particular, like a laser beam in a direction, it was actually a torsion field, which just means like a spiral. So it was spinning. And he actually proved that by navigation of a star. And he said that during the time that it took the light to get it to him, that he could, it was, it had already been in the past. So the star would have moved. And every time he measured where the star was and at his time, the light was where the star would have been and where the star was going to be in the future. He was proving that time was this torsion field. It was an energy. The information was moving faster than the speed of light. And that it was traveling through something and it wasn't just empty space. So <clears throat> with his theories on this, we've seen that time is, is not what we think it is just as like a linear straight line, but it's bendable just like light is. And he decided to do that with something he called the Coaster of Mira, which was actually a capsule that was bent in a certain way that was using golden ratio so that when somebody entered this thing, they could actually, what was 
happening to them that they described was stepping out of their body into the time dimension. So they were actually leaving the third dimension and getting into the fourth dimension of time. And the stories they tell were pretty incredible. <clears throat> so I'm actually, I've been talking for a little bit here. I'm going to have Ralph stand and tell a little bit about Kosarev because his stories were pretty incredible. Ralph, that document you sent me was friggin' amazing, man. I got to tell you. So, uh, first of all, what I think, um, I think uh, um, every possibility of uh, um, us exists in parallel uh, uh, worlds and all those world lines move uh, parallel uh, to the future, from the past to the future. But uh, our consciousness can only experience the, the one we are in. So if Bebo goes back with his book, I think he opens or he jumps to a, to a, a um, parallel uh, uh, world line where uh, um, the future uh, uh, Bebo already has the book. But Bebo cannot realize this, the, the time-traveling Bebo, because he just experienced the, the moment he's in in this uh, uh, timeline. So your thing with the wormholes is very interesting that you can connect timelines through wormholes that uh, um, you can jump into different options of, of how your life could be or, um, yeah. So I think this is very plausible that, or to me, in, in my imaginary, uh, in, in my imagination, uh, this makes the most sense that all possibilities are always there. We just cannot uh, experience it. So going back to Korserev uh, uh, with this mirror, um, I don't know where we want to start. Do we want to start uh, um, as, as you already presented a little bit? Uh, do we want to start at the beginning or do we want to jump in uh, uh, with those people uh, experience uh, uh, um, uh, uh, like looking into the future uh, in this uh, well, we, we, well, we've 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 bashed out a, a a bunch of theories and some science. So jump into some of the stories there, Ralph, because they are quite yeah. Because the experiences of the people that used this mirror that he had were pretty freaking amazing. So yeah, go ahead, Ralph. So give me a second. But um, the thing was what what the people uh, saw who entered his machine, which practically uh, was like uh, like you. Uh, described it was uh, a spiral out of and the fun thing is uh, this time machine you can build uh, uh, easily at home you don't need much uh, stuff it's practically made uh, out of aluminium and the blueprints are in the internet so you find it you can google it and then uh, you can try it at home so yeah uh, he put that together pretty well. I was looking at that, and I'm like, wow, this really isn't that hard. But, yeah, Bev, I don't know if you had a chance to look at that, but the base of the mirror was, you know, his idea was just being able to bend the space, the time energy, just like light, just so that it focuses on a single point, and then the person would be actually in the center of it, so that would be the focal point of that time energy. And apparently, it worked. It worked enough to where there were people that picked up the experiments after he did. They still worked on them. It worked enough to get the CIA's attention. They were up his ass the whole time. And uh, that was another thing that happened, unfortunately, for the scientist Kozarev, was before he had his big day, they, wanted to, they gave him funding to make this big machine to make a really good one, because at this point, he was just using funds that he had. And then they said, okay, this is going to be the inaugural, you know, kind of launch. They had a lot of people that they called psychonauts who were getting used to this type of technology. And <clears throat> right before the big day, he got sick right before it and died very quickly. And the cause of death is still unknown. But it didn't go off CIA's radar. Yet, from there, just before uh, Ralph starts to get into some of the technicals of the experience and what the people actually saw, I just wanted to say something that they 
got they experienced beforehand because it took a while for these people to get pretty good at doing this and the reason why was because they constantly talked about an overwhelming amount of fear as they uh even just stood near the thing it wasn't they didn't even have to go in it at this point and <clears throat> that fear I've seen with people who have tried astral projection unsuccessfully. So for our listeners who don't know, astral projection is a way to move your consciousness out of your body to a predetermined location. So if you wanted to go see what Disneyland looked like and you did it from your comfort of your own bedroom, that was something that people have been practicing on doing. The thing is, if you're not good at it, the constant, uh, uh i guess uh said experience for people is it's almost like an out-of-body experience if anybody's seen that once you've done an out-of-body experience it's usually a pretty quick instant kind of thing but with astral projection you're intentionally doing it when you out-of-body experience once you leave and then come back you are terrified because it's almost like experiencing death it's the first time your consciousness in your life has ever left your body and then had to come back with astral projection people experience an incredible amount of fear because their consciousness is trying to leave their body and <clears throat> their body is screaming to get that thing back in because it thinks it will die if it's not there so that was one of the things that a lot of the psychonauts who were actually in the kosarev mirrors were experiencing until they got good at it after a while they could get used to the sensation it's almost like going on a roller coaster for the first time but after a hundredth time you really don't worry about it anymore so go ahead ralph so let's jump in uh, a new one you mentioned uh, the death of nikolai uh, kosarev uh, which was 1983 and it was right before they wanted to start with the experiments and then it took another seven years till December uh, 1990 when uh, two doctors called uh, uh, Trofimov and uh, Kasnachev um, started or continued uh, what uh, Kosirov start, uh, Kosirov started '83 uh, or he he already started in the 50s but it took him uh, a long time till till he was at the point where he could really do like uh, uh, from the theory go to to really experiments so they they started uh, funny enough at christmas uh, eve uh, 1990 and uh, there are tapes from uh, those uh, you mentioned those psychonauts those uh, people who uh, uh, went into the machine and and there are tapes of them what they said and uh, uh, one for example uh, uh, is having entered the room we felt a kind of emotional pressure but we kept talking as uh, through we didn't care about it we just couldn't keep standing around the mirrors the fear was so strong more like a wild terror that couldn't be explained. It seemed like a real thing you could you could touch. None of us had ever had such a feeling before. So th this is an experience from from someone who used uh, the machine, who was part of of the experience experiment, and and he felt the energy surrounding him nearly like he could grab it and and get a hold of it so it, it was nearly it became a physical thing like um, like a fish uh, who does not know that he swims in water but he can feel still feel the water and and the question in this is in what kind of of medium uh, we are swimming and and uh, what influences us physically but we cannot we cannot uh, see it or, or grab it or get the hold of it and you know that's a really good point too ralph because that came up in the coast of experiments where he was talking about an ancient uh philosophy that was called the ether and to for our <laughs> listeners who don't know it was an older uh philosophy that it was yeah the best way to put it philosophically is it's the space between the air and as Ralph said, same exact thing. Fish don't know that they're in water moving around, but they are 
they know that the water is surrounding them. And it was the same thing for us. And Kosarev said, that's what this time energy is. This is the empty space that is in the rest of the universe isn't just an empty vacuum. It's actually an energy field that we just have not detected yet. And that is what's making the medium of travel for all of these things like light from distant stars and stuff like that. So that's where that came from. So he reintroduced that ether theory to a modern scientific world. Mm, exactly. So, something that um, right from the start of this show, that everything seems to be coming back to um, gravity. Um, I mean, they started out with Newton, and, you know, we, we all know about that. The apple fell on his head, and what, what's all that about? And then um, Einstein went on to develop his two theories about relativity, and that sort of debunked what Newton was saying. And then we start talking about these mirrors, and it's all about, uh, again, this, you know, wrapping around and whatever. There's this force and it all seems to be coming back to uh, the gravitational curvature, I guess is what they call it, in which we um, get mass and we get energy to create the space-time. And so I tend to believe that that's, that's the root of, of everything and that's everything that we're building and understanding is based on that. And we'll, at some point we'll get to the end, but I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, he did do a lot of mathematical interaction theory with gravity, too, because as he was saying, I, I know a lot of our listeners have probably seen that um, that thing that they do to show people what gravity would be like, where you take something that would be like a trampoline and put the bowling ball in the middle and then roll something around it. And you can see how the smaller object is attracted to that gravity dwell. So <clears throat> the mass is actually making a dent in the gravity field at that point. And he said, instead of just having it as that, uh, well, he was comparing his time energy idea to that. Instead of just having that flat field of gravity, there's also a spiraling field around it that has different effects. And that came up when some of his uh, psychonauts went into the Costa Red Mirror. So what was happening was they decided to set a couple of these up and have people try to communicate with each other that would have been like a faster than light communication or something along those lines. Well, it worked and they were getting a pretty decent amount of, uh, uh, um, pretty decent amount of results. So they decided to do it really big. And from 12 different countries in the world, they took 5,000 participants, but they realized that it also had a particular effect. They were getting above random results but then when the Earth's magnetosphere had a difference and it did change, they noticed that the results shot up to like 95% perfect, which was way off the charts. But they were saying, hey, you know what? What was happening at this time was some type of celestial incident. So, so it would be like a solar flare or something along those lines. Something that would be highly affecting the Earth's mag uh, magnetic field and that was actually changing the results so what he was saying was that gravity field has one thing to do with it the time energy also has a bearing on this and we saw this a while ago where the uh with remote viewing so some of the remote viewers when they would do their viewings they noticed that sidereal time had a big effect on the quality of the viewing that they were doing and it seemed that whenever the part of the Earth that they were in was facing the center of the galaxy, their psychic reading sucked. But yet these guys were really good viewers. And provided that, that they weren't directly facing the center of the galaxy, was after that, their viewings were really, really good. So that this happened also again with the people with the Kosarev mirrors where they said, hey, you know what? The Earth's magnetosphere is affecting these readings so far apart from each other that it's really, really making a difference in the numbers. I mean, you're going from like, I think it was 10% 
in the, the originals and then all of a sudden it would be going up to like 30 to 45 percent and then yet when the magnetosphere was af affected it was going up to 95 percent accurate Did so those, those experiments really puzzled me because uh, i thought yeah you can fake it like they built uh, this one uh, mirror uh, in in the north of in in the most northern settlement of Asia, I think it's it's called uh, um, I cannot find it, but uh, really where uh, um, where there's not much disturbance from civilization or whatever. And the other mirror they built one thousand four hundred miles away. Then they put two people, uh, one in each mirror, and uh, they do exactly the experiment you you explained and then they could uh, uh, transfer information from the one person to the other person most likely somehow uh, through the uh, uh, magnetosphere that's uh, because like you said the more activity is in the magnetosphere the better was the transmission so we had some of those similar experiments when we are talking about MK Ultra and so on, which yeah you you can debunk because there are just there are not many people uh, involved in this. But like you said, there there was this other experiment where they used five thousand uh, participants in in twelve countries. It's very difficult to set something up like this uh, as a hoax. And, and that's why uh, it, those experiments really puzzle me what was going on back then. Yeah, I and think it looks like with those experiments, it looks like that, you know, aside from trying to debunk what he did, it, it looks like his theories were correct because what he was saying was if time was an energy force, then it's just being concentrated. So what his mirror was doing was concentrating that energy force. But yet when the magnetosphere was concentrated at the exact same time, now you just have this super concentration of this amount of energy. So it, theoretically, from what he, from his point of view, it looks like he was right. Yes, that's the, and especially that it worked with children. Uh, yeah, they were the best uh, at it, right? Yes, that's <laughs> very fascinating. That uh, if they did the experiments uh, uh, with children, they they are very good as as uh, for receiving such uh, transmissions. You know, Ralph, just to throw in on this on a personal level. I will say that over the last 10 years, I've looked into a lot of different psychic experiments of every kind, and the absolute best results on almost all of them that I looked into were children. And the only difference was it wasn't always an age factor of the child. It was a um, educated factor of the children child. Children are more open. They were more I mean, open. So after years and years of getting, you know, uh, like mainstream public school science pounded into your head, you s are less likely to believe it works. But the children that were still open to the idea were much more receptive and they were much more successful with it. So were they being led and not actually experience it? Were they be actually being led? Is, is the flip side to that new one? Do you know what I mean? Like you, right, right. You know, like yeah, there is always there's always that possibility. I mean, with five thousand participants, you'd think somebody might have leaked something at that point but uh yeah i mean it, it is possible it is possible and the only way to really know is you know don't trust verify do it yourself yeah. but apparently this was enough for intelligence agencies to get involved so i would say if this guy was just slinging crap he probably wouldn't have gotten the funding that he did and then on top of it <clears throat> one of the you know side things was this guy was, you know, he was living in Russia. Now, he went through a couple of different regimes at this point in time, and none of them were fun. I mean, the first one that he worked at an astrophysicist, astrophysicist college at a university, first as a professor, one of the students was upset with him for failing him, and they fucking killed every one of the professors in the college. The guy said that they were uh, rebels. They killed every one of the professors in the college and put him into isolation for like 10 years or something like that, right? Jeez. So then, yeah, Jesus, right. So then when he came out, 
he starts doing these experiments and then starts writing papers on this stuff. Then the Russian government at the time funds him for these experiments and he writes all of this stuff down and publishes a book on it. So you would think that the guy who originally got thrown in prison just out of suspicion sure as shit wasn't going to rock the boat and, and lie about something of the Russian government giving him money to investigate time travel because they would have just shot him on sight at that point. Like, he was already on their black book. You know what I mean? So he wouldn't have stuck his neck out unless he was absolutely certain that this was not going to get him thrown back into a, you know, Siberian isolation tank for another 10 years. Yeah. So he had to be pretty serious about his convictions at this point. Yeah, what, what's coming together for me, you know, over the previous weeks, some of the, the things that we've done with the CIA and and the like, like MK Ultra, um, the viewers and all that, it, it can be loosely or as tightly wound or bound to some form of time travel. Um, and there seems to be the general consensus between the average person is time travel as i said before is you know like we get into a machine and we go to a point in time but there seems to be different ways to access they're either parallel um universes or um, maybe even your own timeline to go back and forward and we don't really see any mainstream stories of this happening, but what we do see is mainstream stories of time travel, how most people think of it. And, and one that comes to mind is the, the Russian guy. Um, just give me two secs here. I, I can't sure. pronounce his... You know what, Bev, while you're his... looking that up, I actually wanted to say you're, you're right about that. We're not exactly sure what they're looking at, and I'll tell the listeners... A few of the different results that came out of the Kosterev experiments, one of them was these the people would actually claim to see symbols. Now, this wasn't like a mental thing in their head. They claimed that while they were inside this mirror um, compartment, that they were actually seeing symbols. And they were seeing the same symbols over and over. And it turns out a lot of those symbols were Sumerian. So from that we can say okay well these people were seeing something from that particular period of time then there were some people that were claiming that they were seeing what would be ufos and um humanoid style like alien figures and these people were claiming that they were seeing that particular section of whatever the time you know uh group was and during the experiments, the later experiments after Kozarev died, they did claim to see there were tons and tons of UFO sightings over the, the building and the town that they were in. So it was enough, and there was a lot of records about it. It was enough to kind of freak people out. On the other side of that, one of the first viewers that went in there, actually, the first, I think it was the first psychonaut, said that his first experience when he actually did what would be like an astral travel like an astral projection he ran into himself when he was a child so there's the possibility that he was in his own timeline and that was the way to start him off and the creepiest one was the later ones the people who started getting good with it they were encountering beings that were silhouettes of light and they actually communicated with them. There were a couple of different instances where they could feel them touching them physically. So they were actually breaking that time barrier. And one of the two was crossing over into the others and they could communicate with them. The only thing was these were the creepier ones because those people said that those beings, those light beings, whoever they were, whatever they were, were not very friendly and they all got kind of a decent amount of scared and fear kind of feeling when it happened. Yeah. So just looping back <clears throat> to one of the um, stories, and I call it a story because I believe it's exactly what it was, but this is what the general um, public sort of associate with time travel and, and why it, it doesn't get looked at and probably has a lot of scepticism with the general public, and that's the story of Sergei, excuse this is a Russian name, I find it hard, Sergei Ponomarenko maybe is how you say it, back in 2006, and that's the story of, uh, it was in Kiev in the Ukraine, um, this guy just shows up in, in the middle of an intersection looking confused and dazed, etc., etc., and he's wearing, you know, um, 
clothes from back in the 30s and they all looked new. He had a camera from back in that era that all looked brand new. The police got involved because this guy's just wandering around aimlessly and his identification puts him back at, I think it was 1932 from memory. And he then gets taken to a police station um, you know, they interrogate him and then he goes to a psychiatric ward and blah, 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 blah. And they made a documentary about it. And then this documentary actually was its undoing because there's lots of different things that people picked up within the documentary that proved it was just a, a big hoax. And that was things like the clocks are wrong. Um, some of the things that, that he did within that, you know, because it was all caught on CCTV, um, was was just pure and utter um, setup. So you got any comment on that one, Ewan? Yeah, you know, I actually did see a lot on that, and I love these stories. I absolutely think they are awesome. But the thing is, I'm going to go at them saying, okay, if you're going to make this claim, you're going to need to prove it. Now, a while ago, Ralph brought up, and we did a show on Doddleston, and that was one that I had a really hard time debunking, you know? So that was a fantastic one. That was one of my favorites. I, I remember that story about that Russian gentleman. I don't think that one was true, actually. I've seen some about someone named John Teeter. I'm very skeptical about that one. I'm not really convinced on that. But, but it, the other one is that we're talking about when, when we're talking about people like this, some of them are claimed to be intentional, like Andrew Basiago, who worked at Montauk and the Pegasus Project. He claimed that he was intentionally time traveling. But we do have unintentional time travelers. And if Kosarev was right and time can be actually, you know, uh, concentrated into one space and funneled like in a spiral, then maybe it's possible that there are some people that accidentally walk into these things. And we had a great story. And Ralph, I'm going to let you tell this one because that Rudolph Fence story was fantastic. It was one of my favorites, actually. So go ahead. So to start this story, we travel a little bit back in time uh, to June 1951. New York, <coughs> out of nowhere, a man disappeared in the middle of the street. Like in New York, there are a lot of people walking around. Why you've got uh, witnesses uh, uh, looking at this man and, and seeing this happening, that he simply appeared out of thin air? Because this guy was not dressed like a, a guy from the 1950s. He was dressed more like from the 19th century, uh, mid-1800s. So uh, this was, uh, it, it exposed him, the whole look exposed him. So people uh, uh, recognized him and he, unfortunately, a minute later, as he appeared on the street, he got hit by a car and he died. So far, so sad. Then police came and they checked this guy. And uh, uh, this guy had some items with him, like a, a copper token for a beer uh, worth f f five cents uh, with the name of the saloon where you can use it on. So at this time, there were no saloons anymore in New York, which was a little bit uh, uh, surpri a surprise already. But then they found more like uh, um, a, a, b a bill for washing of a carriage and caring for a horse uh, $70 in old banknotes which are not used for uh, 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 60-70 years um, business cards which uh, uh, um, had addresses on it uh, which don't exist anymore a letter which was dated from June 1876. So he had a lot of stuff from uh, uh, from from the past, from the 19th century. He had nothing on him which uh, uh, came out of the time where he uh, died in this car crash. There was nothing which connected him to the 1950s everything connected him uh, uh, to the century before and so also they that the, the authorities i do uh did a little bit of work on that one they even further prove or deepen the mystery is they couldn't find any information about the man 
um, via fin- fingerprints or dental records. There was no modern forensic stuff um, from back in the 50s that could tie him to being an actual person from that period. Uh, still, everything led back to the 1800s. And something else I found interesting, um, he had $70. Now, $70 in 1800, that, that would probably make the guy an absolute millionaire, in, is what I think. Um, so if someone back in the 1870s uh, just disappeared and went off the face of the earth, it, um, it would have been noticed and documented somewhere because he was obviously high profile. He was obviously rich. If it was just a normal um, plebs in the street, it probably wouldn't even got gazetted. But this would have been gazetted for sure. But there's been no history of him actually disappearing or, or going. So again, that leads me to think that we still have these uh, parallel timelines, so to speak, and he somehow got caught in a wormhole or, or whatever it is that joins these parallel universes together. Does that sound plausible, new one? You know, it does. Did you happen to see the investigation that took place where the, I'm not sure his position, but one of the detectives who was the police officer that was in charge of the case actually ran down the wife of his son and interviewed her. Did you happen to get that far into it? I did, but yeah, just explain. Yeah, so what happened was was that they were trying to find this guy and they couldn't find any information on him, but they found that he had, there was another guy by the same name and it was a junior and they went to this guy, they found out he had passed away, but his wife was still alive. So they told her the story and she said when she was younger, before they, or as they had gotten married, they would go over to the parents' house for dinner and it was pretty common. <clears throat> and the wife didn't like him smoking in the house, so he would go out for a walk every night and smoke a cigar. And one night he disappeared and never came back. And they did, now this is the 1800s, they did an investigation, who the hell knows what the paperwork would have looked like back then, but there were people that, at least her, that could confirm, yes, this person did go missing at this particular time, and he showed up in the 1950s, and all of a sudden, there he was. So now we have this guy who we do think went missing and then shows up in 1950, you know, God knows how many years later, and dies right on the spot. But we have one witness. And we still have the police reports from the 1950s that documented it because after that, they said, a lot of people said, well, this was actually just a fancified story from a pulp magazine that came out that said hey you know what this this is a story of a you know a time traveler kind of guy the thing was i looked as far as i could and everything i could get out of it said that the incident of him getting hit by the car in times square with the police uh records was 1950 yet the magazine came out in 51 so if somebody had caught wind of that story it would have been really good to be able to capitalize on it because the guy's dead and no one's going to care if they you know, poach that story from there. Nobody's going to hit him for copyrights or anything like that. So it looks like this actually did happen from the information that we have. The thing is, he's not the only one. And the more and more of these we get, the more likely it looks like this is a possibility that these people are stepping in and out of their own timelines or they're uh, like uh, different dimensional timelines or they're actually stepping in and out of their own at different periods. So I love that story. Yeah, Rudolph Fence was fantastic. He was a great one. Yeah, and, and the whole thing which came after, they, they tried to debunk this story. And they, uh, for all through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, they could not then, uh, I think it was in the uh, uh, 2007 or something, uh, when one researcher found in this found this magazine you were talking uh, uh, about uh, um, <coughs> but the problem prob- and and everyone thought uh, this this whole uh, um, uh, story is based on this short story uh, in this magazine but the incident in New York happened in June 51 and the magazine was published in September 51. Huh. So the short story came after all this happened, which 
this leads nowhere. So this is not the proof that this did not happen like it happened. There's yeah. a, just so, go ahead. there's a couple of things like we've talked a lot about um, science and about timelines and etc. And then we've given some examples of real uh, like real life examples. Some have been um, categorically proven that it was a hoax, and some just like the last one, we've we've never really gotten to the bottom of it. But I still keep coming back to um, Einstein and some of his. <coughs> his theories like the general theory of relativity and the stuff that we've actually proven that time is different in different situations even though it's happening in our perception at the same time and that's called time dilation and what they did with that is they use atomic clocks um, in an aeroplane and send the aeroplane off and you know get it to go as fast as it can, it can and they they set two atomic clocks um, make sure they're synchronized one on one on planet earth like on the ground and then put one in an airplane and when the the uh, plane lands the atomic clock that was in the plane is actually running is actually lost time it's not the same time as the clock on the earth so to me that's categoric proof that time is warped time can be warped so time can be manipulated it's just that we haven't really worked out how and why but i think a lot of it leads back to again gravity and black holes or slash wormholes so i'd just like to before we sort of start winding up on here we haven't talked about black holes and wormholes much so do you have anything on that new one I want no to no i think i'm going to let you go ahead on that one if you want to discuss that i wasn't prepared for that yeah, well, we just lost Ralph. Um, well, basically, I, the way I understand it, if we go back to that block theory, that time goes, it started with the Big Bang and it'll end when the demise of the universe. Um, you, you can actually get, the, the black hole is gravity that actually wraps that timeline back on itself. So you can go in and out of that timeline and end up in a different spot. So imagine if you're at the end of that timeline and it gets wrapped around it, back on itself, you can actually come out at the start of your timeline or wherever that circle comes back to meet. That's sort of how I understand it. My brain's not big enough to get my head around it. But um, the same principle applies to wormholes where you can just jump to different points on your timeline. So, yeah, I just find it interesting, but the science is, is way deeper then I have the ability to understand, and it's it's a rabbit hole that you could go down. I think for um, for quite some time. I'll say that too for this particular show. You know, doing the research that I did on this one, man. When you start getting into the math, yeah, it just it's mind melting. You know, I mean, you're just looking at stuff that you haven't had to conceptualize before. It's really hard to get a hold of. But uh, I will say that from my point of view, with everything that we've gone over, I do believe that, like you said, time is malleable and we do have the ability to travel through it in some way. I would love to find out. And uh, I made a joke to Ralph and I said, you know, I'm eventually going to build one of those coaster of mirrors in my house. So uh, who knows? I mean, with the amount of shows that we've done, we already probably have the CIA looking at us at some point. Might as well give them something to watch. <laughs> so yeah. Ralph, Ralph, let's give them a show, guys. <laughs> yeah, Ralph, did you, you sort of dropped out there. You obviously lost your connection. You were about to do some comments on um, wormholes or black holes do you have anything to say about those i, I wanted to just uh, give some uh, facts to what you said uh, with the clock on the airplane and uh, clock on the ground yeah i don't know when i cut off so i, I uh, repeat it it's uh, if the airplane flies 920 kilometers per hour for eight hours the clock difference between earth and the uh, plane is 10 nanoseconds so uh, the, the plane uh, is 10 nanoseconds in the future. But the same is with uh, a nuclear submarine. If you are closer to the core of the Earth, the uh, gravitation is stronger. So if you dive to 300 meters of uh, depth and you stay there for six months, the time difference on the submarine to the clock on the sea level is 500 nanoseconds. 
Huh. You know what, Ralph? I'm curious. Do you have to be moving in the submarine, or can it nope. just submerge itself? No. You just ah. have to stand uh, to, to uh, be in a stronger uh, <clears throat> gravity field than the people on the sea level. Gotcha. Wow, that's interesting as hell. And that's, that just ties back to, you know, the theory that um, time-space, it actually warps and bends and moves around um, high points of gravity, which alters your time. It's uh, pretty basic to understand that, I think. I think everyone can wrap their head around that one. Um, I think uh, we've come up on an hour here, guys. I think we touched on a few things to give um, people, you know, some thoughts to go away with. But uh, for me, I, I you know, I, I definitely think there's something um, purely from the maths point of view that there's, there's something in um, – time travel but it's not necessarily time travel as we think about it as kids you know hopping into a box and popping out so yeah i think uh, i think it was a great show and i'd like to thank everyone for coming here today and and giving it a listen and um i hope you got something out of it so uh hopefully see all you guys next week uh, bye for now <laughs>